this is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. As the clock continues to tick on the January 6th committee's mandate to find the truth, we are getting a fuller picture by the day of just how deep Donald Trump's attempt coup struck at the heart of our democracy. A U.S. judge ruled that former President Donald Trump, more likely than not, committed a felony by trying to pressure his vice president to obstruct Congress and overturn his election defeat on January 6, 2021. That stunning assertion was in a ruling Monday that found the House of Representatives committee probing the deadly attack on the U.S. Capitol has a right to see emails written to Trump by one of his then lawyers, John Eastman. U.S. District Judge David Carter in Los Angeles said that Trump's plan to overturn his November 2020 election defeat to Democrat Joe Biden amounted to a coup, adding, quote, the illegality of the plan was obvious. Representatives of Trump and Eastman did not return requests for comment. Judge Carter's findings marked a breakthrough for the Democratic-led January 6th Select Committee, which earlier this month said it believed Trump might have committed multiple felonies. The panel is expected to make a formal request to the Justice Department that it consider charging Trump. We'll return to that subject later in the week as I speak with Norm Eisen, who has dedicated his life to bringing accountability to the former president. Tune in Sunday night for that very important episode. Unfortunately, every day Trump remains at large, we are reminded of the colossal damage he did to our political system and culture at large. America is a fractured and angry place. There is a sense of doom and foreboding that seems to hover just over the horizon. The idea that the worst is yet to come, and that's just the wreckage Trump has wrought at home. His apologists, those legions of weak-willed GOP sycophants, predicated after acquitting him during his first impeachment for his efforts to extort Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, that he had learned his lesson. I believe that the president has learned from this case. What do you believe the president has learned? The president has been impeached. That's a pretty big lesson. I believe that he will be much more cautious in the future. I hoped that the president would have learned from the fact that he was impeached by the House, even though I think that was a partisan uh, move. But there were so many of us who are Republicans in the Senate who were very critical of the call. The call was wrong. Parts of the call were fine. But then the president mixed in asking a federal government to investigate a political rival, and he should not have done that. And I would hope that he would not do it again. If we could rewind to a crucial moment where history could have been stopped in its tracks and the tidal wave reversed, it was there. Instead, the GOP dug in and cast their lot and their legacy with Trump. Some hoped he would shrink into something more malleable and less scary. Instead, he grew emboldened. After all, who the fuck was going to stop him? That perfect phone call was just the beginning. Trump has never stopped soliciting help from foreign powers to aid in his political prospects. It was a perfect call. That call was far from perfect. No, no, it was perfect. Perfect call. What you did on that call was completely improper. Improper? In an interview published on Tuesday, the disgraced former president issued a new plea to Russia, even as it wages a vicious war against our ally and perpetrates war crimes to release dirt on Hunter Biden. 
Trump's remarks in an interview with discredited far-right journalist John Solomon were published Tuesday by the Just the News television show on Real America's Voice Network. And one thing while I'm on your show, as long as Putin now is not exactly a fan of our country, let him explain where did, because Chris Wallace wouldn't let me ask the question, why did the mayor of Moscow's wife give the Bidens, both of them, three and a half million dollars? That's a lot of money. She gave him three and a half million dollars. So now I would think Putin would know the answer to that. I think he should release it. I think we should know that answer. In making his claims about Hunter Biden, Trump cited the findings of a controversial, highly politicized investigation by Senate Republicans into the Bidens, which was published just weeks before the 2020 election and produced little new evidence of wrongdoing. Trump has repeatedly promoted dubious claims of foreign business dealings by Hunter Biden, specifically alleging that he received millions of dollars from the wife of Moscow's late mayor, Yuri Lushkov. The mayor of Moscow's wife gave the Biden family three and a half million dollars. Nobody wants to ask the question. And Chris Wallace, who's a total lightweight, unlike his father, who interviewed me for 60 minutes, who was actually a good piece. Mike Wallace was great. He wants to be Mike Wallace, but he doesn't have the talent. But why is it that the mayor of Moscow's wife gave the Biden family three and a half million dollars? I think Putin now would be willing to probably give that answer. Once more, Republicans remain mute in the face of their party's leaders' attempt to solicit Russia to meddle in American politics. How many times are we going to replay this video? It recalls his pleas to Russia to leak Hillary Clinton's emails and the sole purpose of his perfect phone call with Zelensky. But it would be interesting to see. I I will tell you this. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded mightily by our press. Let's see if that happens. Trump is once again, as he did in his campaign in 2016, soliciting foreign interference by one of our greatest, gravest enemies, essentially. Uh, When he said, we didn't know this until Robert Mueller's team investigated it, but when he said in in the summer of 2016, Russia, I hope you're listening and I hope you'll be hunting down Hillary Clinton's emails, we later learned that Russian intel operatives basically went back to work. They were at home at dinner and they returned to the work of basically hacking and trying to hack Hillary Clinton's various servers and entry points of her computer to find those emails on an errand from the Republican presidential nominee, Donald Trump. Now. Now this week, he's asked Russia for more information uh, with regard to Hunter Biden, and it will be interesting to see um, what is produced from that solicitation. Trump's default mode is to act like a mafia boss in plain sight and then tell people he's done nothing wrong. When will this stop? Don't bother asking the GOP to spank their toddler-in-chief. If they did not do so when he extorted Zelensky or when he praised war criminal Vladimir Putin after the invasion of Ukraine, they're not going to do it now. Make no mistake, 
the Republican Party remains in the grip of a man with no appreciation for the danger in soliciting help from dictators. The ones I did the best with were the tyrants, and they all say, oh, he loves tyrants. He wants to be a tyrant now. I just, for whatever reason, I got along great with Putin. I got along great with President Xi of China. I got along great with Kim Jong-un of North Korea. And isn't that good? Isn't that better than having a nuclear war? I did, I got along great with him. I liked him, he liked me, he wrote me beautiful letters. He wrote me beautiful letters. I called them love letters and the press said, he's saying he wrote letters, and they are, they are love letters. In any other circumstance, the news that the leader of the GOP sought the aid of a man who has unleashed a brutal war upon an American ally would dominate the fucking news cycle and immediately disqualify that man from public life. But Trump always gets a pass. He's betting that regardless of what he does, he'll have the solid backing of his MAGA army for whom any strike against the so-called Biden crime family is a win for America. So why not ask Vladimir Putin for help? After all, in the world of real politic, the enemy of your enemy is your friend. And for Trump, time and again, that friend is Vladimir Putin. What kind of American, let alone an ex-president, thinks that this is the right time to enter into a scheme with Vladimir Putin and brag about his connections to Vladimir Putin? Aaron Blake from the Washington Post looks at it thusly. It was pretty objectionable when Trump asked Russia for help in 2016, but Putin wasn't nearly the pariah he is now. A poll this week showed that just 1% of Americans have a positive view of Putin, compared with 88% who have a negative view, including 80% very negative. That's entering territory generally reserved for your Osama bin Ladens, your Saddam Husseins, and your Ayatollah Khomeini's. But they asked me, is Putin smart? Yes, Putin was smart. And I actually thought he was going to be negotiating. I said, that's a hell of a way to negotiate. Put 200,000 soldiers on the border. It should have never happened. Certain things, and that thing would have ended, but they didn't have the common sense. They didn't know what to do. We wouldn't have even had to give them. I think he got, he made a big mistake. I think he made a big mistake, what he's done to so many people, but that was a big mistake. But it looked like a great negotiation that didn't work out too well for him. To Trump, though, this appears to be merely a chance for yet more leverage. The logic seems to be, the American people hate you, so why not do something that at least a fair number of them might appreciate? Indeed, that seems to be implicit in Trump's comments that Putin now would be willing to do such a thing, apparently because the war in Ukraine has gone poorly for Russia. And indeed, that might not be a terrible bet. When is the last time a really substantial number of Republicans said that they liked Putin? Right after Trump won in 2016, and we learned that Russia had interfered to assist in that victory. Favorable GOP views of Putin shot up to 16% the previous summer to 37% in one poll. Not only is Trump soliciting dirt from an adversary on the son of this nation's sitting president, he's openly offering to launder this man's reputation. Give us the goods on Hunter Biden and we'll make you a MAGA star. Donald Trump is mentally unwell in a way that makes him interested exclusively in what benefits him. 
Distinctions between true-false, right-wrong, America's friends, America's enemies are irrelevant to Donald Trump. Um, Russia has helped him financially and politically uh, over the years, and he uh, has aligned himself with Vladimir Putin. This is significant not just because he was president, but he's the leader of one of America's two political parties. He might be president again. And this is a moment of moral clarity when Vladimir Putin is slaughtering thousands of people in Ukraine for Republicans who do care about the difference between right, wrong, true, false, America's friends and America's enemies to reflect on whether this is the person. When Trump praised Putin's strategic genius on the eve of the Ukraine invasion, perhaps Republicans could dismiss it as Trump being Trump. In the minds of his apologists, he was giving the kind of no-nonsense appraisal that has won him the loyalty of his people, even as he refused to judge Putin morally. This has aged poorly, very poorly, to the point that Republicans raced to the other side of the issue and began to outflank Democrats on who could be more pro-Ukraine. And instead of condemning Trump, GOP leaders offered their own condemnations of Putin. And some who tried to tiptoe Trump's line in varying ways laid a corrected course. Trump, though, as hard-headed and insane as he is, knows that he's into something. The GOP will let this go precisely because it could potentially help them win. And that's where we are, time and again. Power for the sake of power. And now for the main event. As Trump plays footsie with Putin, asking him once again to help politically, the meat grinder that is the Ukraine war continues to march forward in stunning brutality. My next guest on Maya Culpa, Malcolm Nance, joins us again from the front lines of that terrible war. A frequent guest on the show, Nance is impeccably sourced within the intelligence community and can speak to matters of national security with unflinching honesty and rare empathy. His upcoming book, They Want to Kill Americans, The Militias, Terrorists, and Deranged Ideology of the Trump Insurgency, is forthcoming and will tell the ongoing story of the MAGA uprising and where it's all headed. Today, Nance joins me from an undisclosed location as Russian intelligence continues to target American journalists. What you're about to hear from Nance is about as undiluted the truth as you can expect. Just a warning that we discuss some sensitive topics today, especially around the growing problem of corpse disposal for the thousands of dead Russian troops littering the countryside. War is ugly, and Nance is here today to tell it to you straight. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Malcolm, let's start out today with what it's like to cover the war in Ukraine. Because quite a few American journalists have been killed by the Russian forces. What's it, what's it like out there, right? What are the other reporters and correspondents saying? Are are the Russian forces targeting journalists? And have you had any close calls yourself? Well, as, as you know, I left the night of the, the, the war struck. 
And uh, I've been I'm since back. I'm actually in Poland now. But let me tell you what I'm hearing from the journalists who are here. Uh, and that, first off, I don't think that they are specifically being targeted. I think the Russians are just targeting everyone. And the few incidents, uh, incidents that have occurred, uh, the one that was most likely the most tragic was the loss of the New York Times journalist uh, who was in the city of Irpin, uh, which is heavily contested uh, city to the north of, of Kiev. And um, to get to Irpin, you have to go across a bridge that's been blown up. You have to go down into it. And then, you know, there are cars there that were abandoned and people have been, you know, taking these commandeered cars. But at some point, you're going to run into the Russians. And the Russians are not checking for press badges. Any vehicle they see, they just assume is the enemy and they shoot to kill. And uh, that's how the Sky News was ambushed about two weeks ago in that exact same area. Um, you know, uh, and then you, there's indirect fire. There's mortars. There's rockets, things that fall from the sky. There was a, uh, a young Russian journalist, pro-Ukrainian journalist who was killed at the site of a Russian rocket attack. And she was, you know, tragically, they struck the same place again. So there are many dangers out there. It has nothing to do with journalism. It has to do with the war. So if journalists are getting killed in this capacity, the average civ civilian in those areas are, who have to live there, they're, they're being killed as well. So I think you're referring to um, Alexandra. They used to call her Sasha, right? Uh, right. Kushinova right. is the female journalist, uh, the Ukrainian journalist that was killed in that area. The um, American journalist that you were referring to, I don't know if he was New York Times, the photojournalist, uh, Brent uh, Renault, Brent Renault. Is, is who it was. But right. But then there's also, uh, there was another uh, U.S. journalist. Uh, uh, what, what was his name? Um, Trey uh, Yinkst, who... I forget whether he was actually killed or he was um, severely injured while he was with, I believe, um, this uh, Ukrainian journalist at the time. There was a third, but I know he was actually, Benjamin Hall was wounded, you know, as well. My point being that this is, this is quite an awful mess that's going on here, right? Where um, it almost, it almost seems now... I'm taking your word for it because this is this is what you do, and I certainly accede to your professionalism and your knowledge. But it almost seems to me as if though they are attacking journalists because they don't want the information to be getting out there. Hence the reason why they knocked out that tower that was what right. a thousand miles away from you know Kiev or um, or Kharkov at the time. Well. Uh, well, they knocked out Kiev's uh, main television tower, which uh, which I had seen many times before. <laughs> I know the first time I saw that tower, I said, this thing's not going to last a week in the war. You know, it took the Russians almost three weeks to do it. But information is they're finding it more effective to use the same disinformation paths that you were a victim victim of in the United States by their allies in the United States. Just just look at some of the people who are pushing Russian propaganda for them who have an enormous reach. Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson started out this war 
uh, in the run-up to this war, solidly pro-Putin, solidly pro-Russia, and was, you know, sort of couching it in these, oh, do you think maybe, you know, where, you know, Vladimir Putin did something wrong or could, you know, in these ways that were sort of, you know, giving him a pass while creating enough doubt that Tucker Carlson was pretending to be a journalist, right? So, I mean, for all, I mean, no matter what artillery does here, what sniper bullets do here, what driving up to a checkpoint does that absolutely, you know, injures, impacts, and kills journalists, there's nothing, nothing more deadly, pervasive than the American fifth columnist who pretend that they're, you know, supporting the goals of democracy in America and the Constitution while holding water for a Russian ex-KGB dictator. I'm looking at you, Tucker Carlson. I'm looking at you, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, just disgraceful. You know, Madison Cawthorn, every one of you who is just a pro-Moscow shill. And, you know, I'm sure you're going to get paid in undervalued rubles someday or the, get a friendship medal from Vladimir Putin. But they're far more deadly than the bullets that are killing journalists on the battlefield. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I had General Mark Hurtling on the show. And one of the things that he had said to me, which really made me think, I mean, I really, it made me ponder um, heavily when he said that it's no longer misinformation and disinformation campaign. There's also this new concept of malinformation oh. that you know they're putting out there. What do you know about that? Because again, this is your world. Yeah, and you know, th th disinformation and, and misinformation are actually terms of intelligence art, uh, where you know, back in the period of the Soviet Union, they had entire organizations set up for this. Every one of their news organizations was set up as a massive lie machine. You might remember Pravda back in the old days, right? Mm -hmm. their, their Communist Party newspaper. The word meant. Oh, I thought you were talking. I, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about Prada, you know, the store on Madison Avenue. <laughs> the no, I'm talking about. I, yes, I, I'm familiar with Pravda. Yeah, but Pravda meant, quote, literally, the word meant truth. And when you heard it in the West, it meant lie. Russia has cleverly change that by, you know, when they had that early embrace of democracy in the 1990s. Um, you know, they had news organizations breaking out. Americans were working over there. That changed under Vladimir Putin. He went back to the old system. He immediately consolidated all the news to be either infotainment or entertainment, you know, variety shows and TV shows. And then he consolidated all of the government information into one channel, his channel, right? Sort of like, imagine right. the United States only had OANN, right? Or news, you know, or, 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 or Fox News and no other source of information. So disinformation as a term of intelligence art is where you manipulate information uh, in order to come to a, a desired result misinformation is a mix of truth, half-truths, and lies, right, in order to lead you to disinformation. Malinformation is sort of like, you know, two fingers being held up, you know, both hands at the truth. And it is a flat-out manufactured lie. The guy you used to work for, 
<laughs> Donald Trump. Oh, you have to remind master. me that, Malcolm. I thought we were friends. Yeah, but he wasn't a mass. He wasn't a master of disinformation or misinformation. Donald Trump was a pathological liar. He would manufacture from whole cloth insane things, and in his crazy world, it was the truth as far as he cared. And he didn't wasn't concerned about what you thought or another person thought, but just the true believers thought, you know, the Jim Jones effect. Um, and it's it's ironic that Jim Jones, when he caused all those people to drink poison cyanide lace Kool-Aid, actually had a sign over them that said those who forget, you know, those who do uh, forget history tend to repeat it. And the same thing goes with information and truth. Those who traffic in misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation, okay, are aware that they are repeating this in order to create an alternate reality. The Russians call it perception management, right? Uh, you know, reflexive control to where they actually control what you believe and they create that bubble. Malinformation is a critical component of that. Vladimir Putin is now living in that bubble. And the question is, and this is another one that harks back to your buddy, Donald Trump. When they believe that information in that, that, that malinformation sphere, they start making decisions based on the Off lie sure. that they sure. live. That's the most dangerous, pervasive part of, of disinformation, misinformation, and malinformation. Vladimir Putin may suddenly believe that, that there are biological weapons in a, a U.S. lab in Kharkiv or Kiev or, you know, Lviv and act on it with, you know, chemical weapons himself or nuclear weapons. Who knows? But he gets feedback, Mike, from Marjorie Taylor Greene. And so when he sees on Russia Today... Marjorie Taylor Greene saying there are American biological weapons labs in Ukraine. Malinformation makes him believe it, even though he generated it. Oh, it's a cycle of danger here. Yeah. And, you know, we don't call it here in New York malinformation. We just call it straight up bullshit. Bullshit. Because Lies. that's really just what it is. It's just bullshit. You know, there was a name that came across that um, I heard she also, a journalist, was was killed. Uh, Oksana Bolina. Yes. And I don't know, wh where was she? What happened? I know she was, like, on the air speaking or something. Yeah. I know she had something to do with Navalny, who we all know right. is the gentleman that was going to run against Putin that was was uh, basically taken and um, tortured for quite a while. Um, what happened to her? I referenced her earlier. She was an ethnic Russian uh, who was reporting here in Ukraine, who was pro-anti-Moscow. Uh, and she was at the site of the, um, she was at the, site of the, uh, of the uh, mall, which was struck the other day by a missile and destroyed, which we now suspect was targeted with a drone that they had a Orlan 10 drone flying over there and targeted that place. And it turned out that they struck it again the next day while she was there reporting on the previous strike. Uh, you know, a beautiful young woman lost in her prime trying to bring truth to, you know, to her own country that just now traffics in mass murder and death. It's terrible. <laughs> 
M- m- w- wonderful, right? But, you know, going back to this whole thing of the misinformation, disinformation, and now malinformation. Do you think that there's a group within Russian intelligence that's actually tasked with making up this stuff and then disseminating it? Because I know we have the fuck, as we would say in Russian, the Durak, right? This idiot, uh, Tucker Carlson, and so many others, you know, that continue and promote this misinformation, disinformation, malinformation. But my real question to you is, you have any intelligence as to whether or not Putin has created a task force in order to do this? Because with Trump, it was just me and a bunch of other people, like the Dan Scavinos, the Don Juniors, Ivanka's, Jared's, you know, uh, Mark Meadows prior to that, you know, the rancid penises of the world, Reince Priebus, uh, and so many others inside, you know, the White House just helping to promote this to any unwitting fool that was willing to listen and then to continue to, you know, to promote that information. You know, you know when I wrote my first book about the Trump-Russia scandal, which uh, I, I wrote and published eight weeks before the election, uh, called The Plot to Hack America, I had to project what, for all the inf- disinformation and misinformation that we were seeing and the hacking, of the Democratic National Committee and the result that it was targeted to, to, to elevate Trump and hammer down Hillary Clinton, I actually had to use my intelligence experience to draft up how big an organization would it have to be, what levels of, of, of management would have to be in there, how many English linguists would they need to be to have on hand. We know in the Soviet Union, all of Soviet academia was channeled into Russian intelligence, into the KGB, which had disinformation organizations, um, you know, whose sole function was to make up lies and then inject those lies into the West. One of the most pervasive and successful ones still exists on the Internet. You can Google it. It was a KGB rumor that they managed to get into an Indian newspaper and somehow it got picked up by a paper in the West um, that AIDS was actually manufactured by the CIA in order to infect Haitians and gays, uh, you know, to uh, tear down corrupt society. There are websites that still traffic in that. Even today. Malcolm, are you saying that? Are you saying that that's not true? <laughs> well, <laughs> now, if I can, if I can post something to you here, I don't think that that's the biggest uh, disinformation, misinformation oh, I meant prior that to remains out there. <laughs> right? Maybe prior to 2016, yeah. I consider the Steele dossier to be the same piece of shit. Right? How it managed to get into and promoted. I still believe that this this came from somewhere much bigger and much greater than this loser Christopher Steele, wow. right? This this worthless piece of shit, yeah. you know, with his MI6 background. There was something going on there. Who paid him? How did it end up moving around like this? Where did this information? Now there's stories about that it was uh, that Russia sent somebody to Prague with a passport. That guy's name was Michael Cohen. That, of course, never ever materialized. Well, well, then there was off, also Mike. about my my cell phone pinging in some location just outside of in Czechoslovakia, outside of Prague. All of this stuff and a lot of this stuff they think obviously came from 
foreign sources. Let me enlighten you on this, because I've had lunch with Michael Steele, and we've talked about this subject. You mean Christopher Steele? I mean Steele. Chris Steele, yeah. My, my, Michael Steele Michael Steele's Michael the former Steele. head of the RNC. <laughs> who has and him? if it was Michael Steele, and who's been on this show, I will find him and kick his ass. I love Michael Steele. He has a Muppet. Me too. <laughs> you got to love anyone yeah. that's got a Muppet. So, no, Christopher Steele. I've had lunch with Christopher Steele in London. We had a long talk about the methodologies of how this was done. Uh, I read the document. I saw, you know, I had a discussion with David Korn before he released the document out there. I've talked to, uh, you know, um, Glenn Simpson, uh, you know, uh, on how this thing got, you know, out to um, to 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 other news organizations, BuzzFeed, for example. First off, there are there is a form of intelligence collection. All right. That is called rumor intelligence, right? Um, Rumint. Rumor intelligence is a viable form of intelligence because what it is, it's a source that can be cross-checked and should be cross-checked against viable intelligence. This is the, the old movie trope where the person is walking around a party and listening to what people are saying, right? Or you go into a bar that's favorited by people and you listen to what they're saying, or you hang out near the Russian Duma. Rumor intelligence can be firsthand where you actually are standing next to that person listening to them. Secondhand where someone comes and tells you you've heard a rumor. Right. Or thirdhand where that person heard a guy who heard a guy. Right. Um, Usually the way that these things are checked out is through real human intelligence where we have assets who are paid, who sign contracts, whose job it is to go out and cross reference that. Right. Did Trump actually have hookers in his hotel room? Right. Or you have signals intelligence where somebody is talking about that on a telephone. okay? and you know, there's a rumor intelligence document and you what we do fusion this information. I and I had this discussion with with Chris. I said, dude, this whole thing looks like rumor. And he goes, it is rumor. It is a collection of stories and information which has to be cross-checked by a viable intelligence agency for it to be anything other than rumored. Now, that crazy Prague story, you and I discussed this a couple of times on this show, right? It was really pushed by some crazy people on the liberal left, okay? I mean, they were hammering that story. And I said, well, this is pretty easy. All you got to do is cross-reference it to the video cameras at the airport. And if it was real, that shit would have come out in about 30 seconds, right? And it never came out. And as it never came out, I immediately dispelled it because very easily checkable intelligence would have been able to do it. And it was a country that's part of NATO, right? We do counterintelligence. So that story was crazy and bullshit. And a lot of people ran with that story. Uh, you know, for their own personal purposes. A lot of people, like, I don't want to mention somebody who's a... No, mention. Go ahead. Uh, Go for it. A crazy ex-British member of parliament who's constantly called me a Russian spy, you know, whose name begins with Lois Mensch. They were all hammering these crazy stories. And, you know... Did you... Do you remember what Louise Mensch... Uh, or whatever her yeah, Louise Mensch, what she turned around and said, which I not only was it inaccurate, it's also insulting. 
What's that? That I had a second passport, an Israeli passport, because I'm a Jew. Now, in fact, as I tried to explain, right? Yeah, she's fucked up. She's nuts. Except the problem is people listen to it. And as I explained to her, I've never been to Israel. She had, she had a quarter right? I've just never, I've never been to Israel, mm. um, which I'd like to go, but I haven't, I haven't been as of yet. No different. I haven't been to Russia either. But my point is, it wasn't just Louise Mensch. There were others like McClatchy that came out with crazy stories that I came in on some oligarch's yacht or I took somebody's private plane what? or something like that. Or, so I turned around and I said, that's as plausible as me going to Dick's sporting goods store, <laughs> buying a kayak, dropping the fucking kayak in the East River, kayaking my ass over there, right? And then coming back within 24 hours because as they're well aware, because the FBI did do their homework, right? Even though they still kept holding on to this bullshit document. Yeah. They knew I was at USC with my son because they spoke to all the baseball coaches when my son was having a tryout for the team. Now, there's a theory out there that a lot of this information or some of that information could have been planted intelligence. And the thing about rumor intelligence is, and this is why you call it rumor intelligence, is because if you don't cross-reference it with real stuff, it's as good as you know, the stuff Donald Trump says, you know, I mean, the whole the, the whole story of the P tape was so fantastical. Right now, I'm not saying that it could or couldn't have happened. The thing is, is that what you do is you quickly cross reference it. And when the investigative committees cross referenced it with his bodyguard. Right. They couldn't confirm or deny the damn thing. Right. But it's so the point is, if you're going to come up with a stupid story or you're going to come up with a story, you're going to have crazy stories by crazy people who just want to get stupid stories in your way. I don't think that the that the the, the that report, the steel report, like some people claim, was a document manufactured by foreign intelligence because they would have been. You more, do not. No, they would have been more focused and they would have been more realistic. You're talking all the Russian intelligence agencies used. All of academia from 1917 to 1989 to craft how they targeted messages. This was just sloppy. It was literally. Let me like ask you, but Malcolm. Then let me the ask you this. Tree. Yeah. Sure, but let me ask you this then, because they claimed that my family has a dacha in Sochi. Directly next door to Vladimir Putin. And then they claimed that one of my family members is the largest real estate developer in Moscow, right? To which he's never even been to Moscow. I mean, so there's a lot of Russia included into this. But what bothered me the most is why our law enforcement, you know, never put an end to it, even though that they knew they wanted to keep this document alive. And that that's well, part of the, the second book that I have coming out. The stuff that was real, that the stuff that had any viability would have been found out in the Mueller investigation, which with one exception, the Mueller investigation never, ever investigated the counterintelligence aspects of Trump. That is, was he an a unwitting asset? Was he a witting asset? When would he been influenced? All of that stuff was not in their mandate. To find out, you know, you know, whether Donald Trump had been on the take 
or any of that. A stuff. useful idiot. Yeah. You, well, right. or, he started as a useful idiot. He moved on to an unwitting asset and then became a winning asset on the night that he said. Mazel tov. You know? Mazel tov. If there was a glass, I would break it. You know, let me just move on, Malcolm, <laughs> and ask you this. <laughs> right? What are the chances that Putin widens the war into places like Moldova or the Baltics or even Poland to prevent NATO from resupplying Ukraine from the West? Well, I'll tell you, he won't move into Poland because there's nothing left to move. I'm telling you, I, I, I very early on, I think it was on your show, but you know, uh, while I was in Ukraine, where I was saying, I don't think they can take that country. They don't have enough men. Uh, granted, Russia could call, declare a national emergency and mobilize a million conscripts, right? A million Russians to come out there. But that's a million Russians that would go get their asses kicked. Now, all you could do is just march over dead bodies, right? I mean, just let them pile up left and right. But they won't attack Poland because that's NATO. That's just straight up NATO. 30 countries will 32 because Sweden and Finland will come on our side. And they will just boom, obliterate the Russian air force and move, move, uh, you know, go into open warfare that would probably end with him threatening to use atomic bombs, if not using them. Um, but Ukraine right now, he's getting it handed to him. And the only place that I, I'm with you, I think Moldova is a very scary prospect. There are only two battalion task force in Moldova, which is just, you know, a couple of thousand guys. And the Ukrainians actually have the capacity to help because that's not even Moldova. It's a strip along the border called Transnistria. And mm -hmm. the, the Moldovan government, which is very friendly to NATO, which is very friendly to Ukraine, um, is, is very concerned about this. And they would probably ask, you know, Hungary to or, or not Hungary, Bulgaria to come and assist them. I mean, now you're talking a NATO nation, which would be doing a, you know, cross border security event now getting into it with them. But I think the Ukrainians would have since they haven't taken Odessa and they're not going to take Odessa. I think Ukrainians could probably handle that problem in no time ending. You know, but Putin is throwing these countries names up Belarus, Moldova, Georgia, you know, all these places like he wants to get the band back together again and recreate the Soviet Union. I think he has another thing coming. One other thing. You know, there's this threat from that Belarus may enter the war in the west, north of Lviv, and would come down to cut the uh, border posts down there. And I was in Lviv recently um, to cut the, right. the, the, the lines of supply. No, they wouldn't. They just get this is what would happen. They would get savaged. As they come across that border, they would have be bogged down like they are in Kiev. You would have lots of dead Belarusians because now you have a lot of combat experienced Ukrainians. And then there would be a revolution in Belarus that would overthrow that government. And then you get two countries that want to be in NATO, <laughs> you know, on Putin's door. And they would probably I mean, I don't know if Russia's bought any nuclear weapons into Belarus like they threatened to do. But what if that happens? The government collapses overnight and Belarusians get small, fine. They have tactical nuclear weapons. They become an instant nuclear power. This is just too fraught with danger for Vladimir Putin. But then again, he said, he you know, people thought he wouldn't invade Ukraine. Right. Right. Except for the fact that this isn't the first time. Right. So let me ask you this, Malcolm, then the Putin wing of the Republican Party 
has become a major embarrassment for mainstream Republicans who claim that they're just a fringe group. Now, we suspect it's much larger than that. At least I do. I believe that. If you would, discuss with me what you know of these pro-Russian, pro-Putin factions within the United States. Because I've heard you describe them as fifth column. Who are they and how dangerous are they to this country? Fascinating question. Because Thank I, you. Thank I, you. You know, you know, here, Mayor Culpa, Malcolm, we do our homework. <laughs> it's a good question. Because I wrote a book in 2018 called The Plot to Destroy Democracy, how Putin and his spies were, di- were damaging America and dismantling the West. I read it while I was in Otisville, by the way. Oh, great. Because it was really about how there is a strategic plan by Putin to dismantle all Western democracies by funding right-wing extremist neo-fascist organizations, which is what's so funny when Putin talks about denazification, he can start with the biker gang that protects him, right? The mafia biker gang that protects him, right? These guys are straight up effing Nazis. Um, And he, you know, um, his United Russia Party uh, sponsors. They sponsored and funded the government of Austria that collapsed a couple of years ago in a scandal, which was started by two SS officers in 1952. He supports neo-fascist movements around Europe. He funded Alternative for Deutschland. He funded Marine Le Pen in France, the Front National. And all of them were under the nominal anti-immigrant banner, but they were really anti-democracy fascists. So it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that one of the other components, not one of them, the other wings that he had sort of bought over 10 years was first the American evangelical movement. And they started having, you know, right after 9-11, there were these, and after the, the Beslan massacre in Russia, hardcore right-wing evangelicals were going to Russia and aligning with some with these Orthodox Russian Christian extremists. And then they were being sponsored by the Russian government to come over there for these protection of Christianity conferences. And it got to the point where Franklin Graham became a regular attendee. And and the view within the evangelical movement was these are white Christians defending Western European democracy against Islam in a clash of civilizations. And what's fascinating about this is Osama bin Laden believed the exact same thing, that Islam was supposed to be in a clash of civilizations with Europe. When Trump was elected president and he went to Poland and made his grand speech about clash of cultures, he was speaking to these people and it was all being funded and and backed by Russia. So evangelicals see Russia as the last bastion of, of great white Christianity in the world full of hot chicks. That's another unspoken part of this story that I've discovered that ISIS and right-wing extremists have alike. They love their, you know, their their view of porn from Eastern Europe is almost identical. So you you remember the old marriage mills from Russia. Well, to show you an example of how pervasive that is, the next target was the National Rifle Association. 
And they sent a what we call a marginally attractive young woman named Maria Butina to the United States with a seemingly influential guy um, who turned out their mission was to turn the NRA by, you know, the NRA was fascinated with the AK-47, wanted to get into the Russian market, more weapons, more ammunition because of an Obama administration rule. They all had to be manufactured in the U.S., Believe me, I've heard it all. I'm a gun owner, right? So I've heard all this. But the Russians understood that if you co-opt the NRA, you co-opt another third of the Republican Party, if not half of it. And so this young woman who one day when she was 19 was a furniture saleswoman in Siberia and then pops up a couple of years later at age 23 and she's co-heading this right to bear arms group and then is sent to the United States. And it would later be found out she was going around and sort of um, having relations with various people in the organization or getting very close to them. The FBI arrested her as a spy, an unregistered foreign agent is the term we use for spy. They believed that she was a Russian clandestine intelligence service officer who was there with this other person to co-op the right-wing extremists in, in the NRA. She got to ask Donald Trump the first question in Las Vegas, Nevada, about are you going to have Russia friendly relationships with Russia? A very successful spy operation. And the last leg was the alt-right, Steve Bannon's little world, right? This guy almost created the alt-right. The alt-right are intensely friendly to Putin. Um, the David Duke, owned an apartment. He may still own an apartment in Moscow. Richard Spencer, the head of the American neo-Nazis, would go over and stay there. Spencer's wife was a pro-Moscow Ukrainian who is translating the documents of Alexander Dugin, the guy who designed the entire strategy of Putin knocking down Western democracy. These people are incestuous. So that's how the American right is in the sway of Putin, but now they're fighting these underdogs who have guns and you can go there and join their army and they're confused. <laughs> you know? I mean, you can't, you can't make, you honestly, you can't make this stuff you up. Can't I mean, this it. is, this, this is, this is crazy. You know, I, I, what I didn't understand is, you know, Maria Butina, I, she was no beauty. I mean, you know, some of these, you know, Russians uh, that they have, I mean, you want to talk about good looking. I mean, they are, they are stunning. You know, I would have wanted to send somebody who's a little bit more, um, that's true. You know, but then again, that would be my mistake because then it would be two in your face. Mike. So I guess she probably she probably fit exactly what they were looking Trade for. craft. You don't send one who's someone what we call a Svetlana, right? You don't send mm-hmm. somebody who look who would look good in a freaking, you know, Mercedes McLaren. You don't. Because she's just too good looking. You send somebody who man, I would be bad. Man, I would be bad at the spy <laughs> shit. You wouldn't be particularly good. <laughs> you send somebody who cleans up nicely and looks good holding an AK forty-seven to a bunch of fat rubes who would never be allowed in the same room right. with somebody who is right. clean, attractive, come from overseas, have Kalashnikov. Okay, it was a beautiful intelligence operation in the way that it was executed, and she. 
became boyfriends with a guy who was very influential and helped open all those doors to everyone in the NRA. It was a beautiful, this will be studied for decades as to how stupid all these American guys are because some woman with an accent, some, you know, not even as, you know, as, as interesting as Natasha Fatal from Rocky and Bullwinkle, but would just come over and right. could buy the entire NRA. <laughs> or or Madam or Madam Yes from the Flintstones. That's right, Madam. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> now let me let me ask you this, because you were there in um in Kiev and so on. Because I've heard rumors that Russia is planning to use chemical weapons as they close in on Kiev. Is there any truth to this? And What's the U.S. response at that point? Because I know that it was supposed to be a red line in Syria, right, um, had this all happened. What's, what's the deal here? Can you unpack this for me? This is the toughest question of your show. I mean, this oh, is, thank you. it's worse than nukes because— Can I tell you why it's—Malcolm, can I interrupt you for one second sure. and tell you why it's the toughest question? Yeah, sure. Because I actually have no clue what the answer oh, is. Oh, it's even worse than that because once you have the answer, you won't like it. And you'll be walking around frightened. You know, the thing about nukes is, is that everyone knows how awful they are. That if you decide you want to use one, there are people in the chain of command who can resolve your issue with a bullet, right? No one wants to see their children burn or die of radiation poisoning and the world just come to an end. Nobody. No one will turn that key. Okay? No one. Um, you know, and there are people who may think about it. There are people who may get to the point of turning it, but they'll be like, no, uh, especially people in the military. But chemical weapons on the other hand, that's a fascinating little world because Russia has facilitated the use of chemical weapons in many instances, including mm -hmm. carrying out a, you know, not just in Syria. In Syria, they just use mass nerve agent, right? They use sarin gas. They dropped it in sections of Damascus, Aleppo, other parts, knowing that these people were going into basements. And Russia had this clean them out like rat strategy. And the problem they had in Chechnya was there were all these Westerners watching. So they just had to level the cities. And the problem is their guerrillas were down in the basements. Well, in Syria, using Russian advice, they dropped sarin gas. They had used it a few times before. It wasn't as effective. Russia helped them focus it so that they bombed all the upper buildings, all the fire departments, all the top part structures so, and left the basements intact. When the people ran to the basement, they dropped sarin gas. Sarin gas is heavier. It goes into the basement and it kills everybody. Right. One drop of that will send you into violent convulsions. Your heart will stop and you'll die. So uh, Russia has saw how successful that 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 Syria used it because there was no Western response. When that red line was drawn, I made a recommendation on air. And I said, the Russians, I'm not the Russians, that the Obama administration, the red line should be simply this. You will change the military dynamic of the Middle East. You will destroy the entirety of the Syrian Air Force, all of it. Every effing runway, every effing aircraft, every effing helicopter. And you go, I'm leaving it up to the Israelis now. <laughs> okay. Now you use chemical weapons. Israel, Israel gets total air supremacy in the Middle East. 
They didn't do that, right? Because they looked to Congress because he's such a kumbaya guy. They looked to Congress to give him permission. That is always wrong. You cannot go in an emergency by committee. The Russians have taken that lesson. And now what they're thinking of doing is making what we call a false flag attack. They're claiming today all of the people killed by artillery bombardments were killed by Ukrainian artillery, even though that Russians have a like a 20 to one domination of artillery in Ukraine. And we can watch it with our own eyes. Russia will just lie about it. Now they're claiming the Ukrainians are planning to kill off their own citizens with chemical weapons. That's like a giant bullhorn saying Russia is about to use chemical weapons. Now, what happens when that when when that happens? I'm looking over here to see if I have my gas mask, which I did carry, you know, just in case uh, I go over. Uh, but what happens when that when that happens? Now we are at a crossroads because that's not a joke. If they'll use chemical weapons and Russia is used, by the way, you know, Russia did a chemical weapons attack on England when they tried to poison an ex-KGB agent and his daughter, and it killed uh, two people who had- Because they simply simply touched him. I think that's called uh, Novchuk. 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 The most virulent chemical weapon in the world. All right? Obviously, they had mellowed it out. They had put it into a little spray bottle. Uh, That was a chemical weapons attack on England, not on an individual, on England. We should have busted them right then and there. And they've carried it out on Navalny, right? They hit him again with the same thing. They did it also to the to the guy um, Yanukovych. Yanukovych, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, look, that's even worse. Polonium can only be produced. That's a radiological attack in a nuclear reactor that is creating plutonium for atomic bombs. And it's like a microscopic offshoot of that. And Putin used that to show he could use the single most rare weapon on Earth. Yeah, I remember uh, Yanukovych's face was like falling off and so on. But let me ask you this. It was just terrible. I mean, look, you know, there's so much stuff. And what I also heard with the Novchuk, they have a way now, not just by doing it into an aerosol, but they have it with almost like an adhesive. That's a one-way adhesive on the outside of the hand, and they slap you on the back of the Uh, neck or they touch you you, you as you're walking or something. And it's just, it's so terrible because it's, it's it's almost irreversible, obviously, right? But Mike, I, let me let me move no, no, on for a second me, and ask you this. Let me digress for one moment. So you've seen a lot of dead children here recently on television. Yes. Now I want you to start thinking of dead children who have choked and vomited from a chemical weapon in these basements. Women and children who look like, you know, the average American. You're going to have a violent violent political reaction even the republic will come malcolm over. it's ident it's identical to the images that we remember during the holocaust in auschwitz and other death camps where they used to gas them um and you're right if that happens it should be all out It'll all be out fucking attack it better be so let me ask you this thing because i'm curious did you have any contact with the feared uh, Azov regiment that's currently fighting in Maripol while you were there? I mean, are they comprised of extreme far-right elements as described neo-Nazis? And if so, 
How do we balance the need to defeat the Russian forces without the kind of blowback that we saw in Afghanistan? I mean, what my real question, are we simply arming what could become a hostile faction against the Zelensky administration, something we've seen happen before? Well, first off, the Azov Battalion is, is actually in Mariupol and are surrounded by the Russians. So there may not be an Azov Battalion here very soon. I'm not joking. Um, there were members, I mean, this is a big thing. There were members in the Azov Battalion. Just as there were members in the U.S. Marine Corps and the U.S. Army and the U.S. Navy who had taken and who were right wing extremists and the Ukrainian government has been trying to counteract this image. Russia used this as the denazification of Ukraine, which is run by a Jew, <laughs> you know, a child of a grandchild of a Holocaust survivor to claim that every person in Ukraine is a Nazi. Well, I spent the entire month of January and February here. Um, haven't met any Nazis. What I met were a lot of people that love democracy, a lot of people that love the United States. I've met no neo-Nazis whatsoever. And that group, and the reason people were, were, were aligning this to it, and crazy Laura Logan going out and calling it an occult group, is because someone had made up a patch, not the official patch of the organization, that had been using the Schutzstaffen, the SS symbol, and mm -hmm. a symbol called the Sonnenrad. Okay, the Sonnenrad is like a continual series of, of L shapes that create the sunrise, right? That was, that some people have interpreted, you know, the same people who watch Ancient Aliens, that meant that it was an occult symbol of Nazi Germany. And it was in the home of a former Nazi officer uh, that people use. That, I said this on the other day, and Jimmy Dore, some guy named Jimmy Dore, criticized me. I don't know who he is, but um, there are as many Nazis in the U.S. Armed Forces. And I, I, I served for 20 years. I've seen it. Seen guys with swastika tattoos. Uh, you know, uh, then there are members of the entire Azov Brigade. Um, again, that organization is going to cease to exist here soon. They're probably not going you know, to survive the siege of Mariupol. The reason it's called the Azov Brigade, okay, is because, you know, they're stationed on the Sea of Azov. <laughs> so that's where Mariupol is. Now, could there have been members who were Nazis? Of course there were members who were Nazis. We've seen their patches. We've seen these guys. But if there's 20 guys in a regiment of 1,200 in an army of 265,000 people, that does not represent the entirety of the Ukrainian armed forces. Russia is terrified of democracy. And now they've, they've pulled the spirit of Nazis from World War II to get the old people out in Siberia to support this crazy war. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what we really need. We need to bring back the group from inglorious bastards like Lieutenant Aldo Reigns, and we need to send the Jew bear in there with the baseball bat, right? And this this whole war will be over in about a week, Carver, right? You just have to walk down the bag of the thing, right? Could you imagine and start doing it? But let me I saw, say by this the way, I saw, a I saw a Ukrainian Jew in uniform uh, last time I was there because he wore the short Israeli hat 
I could just tell everything about him shouted Israeli army, the gear, <laughs> yeah. everything. Well, we, we need to give him a Louisville slugger. So, you know, look, on a more quiz. <laughs> On a more grisly note, yeah. right? I read a piece in CNN about the problem of Russian corpses yeah. piling up uh, literally across Ukraine as the ground begins to thaw and the weather starts to get warmer. Now, it's a sign of how the Kremlin is hiding the true toll that the war has taken, right? They, I mean, they're hiding this information from their own people. How much of this are you encountering as Russian forces are now getting pushed back? And what do they do with them? What do they do with the bodies? Because they are not picking them up. They are not, you know, transporting them to an area in order to send them back. I understand that they also have like crematoriums, traveling crematoriums. crematoriums. I mean, this is this is really fucking brutal. You know, and I'll tell you one thing, because, you know, um, you don't want. You really don't want to piss off the mothers of these Russian uh, service members, right? You really don't. And when you're lying to your people and you're saying that there's under two thousand of our soldiers have died, and then ultimately that number is going to come out, you know, well in excess of thirty thousand. Right. And you know these these kids, these these service members don't come home. Well, they they didn't travel to Vegas. Let me put it to you that way. Well, the city of Dnipro alone, and that was I saw that report. It was horrific. The city of Dnipro alone, when they showed the refrigerated tractor trailer, he said there's 300 bodies in this one and 200 bodies in that one. And those bodies were transported just in the immediate area, uh, you know, uh, further down near Zaporizhna and all these other areas. Because he said, we can't leave the bodies in the street. You know, it's a, it's a hazard. Uh, and not to mention their own dead that they have out there. I know in the city of Kharkiv right now, there was that one report on BBC. A body has been, you know, bodies have been in the street for a week because the Russians bombard every person that comes for the bodies to kill more civilians. You know, these people aren't disappearing. The senior officers who are being killed are being sent home with state funerals. But what happens when you you accidentally send back 5,000 bodies and you're telling everybody that it's 2,000 bodies and that some group starts counting? Um, that's, That's the point. By releasing that there are deaths in this war, Russia is masking any funerals that you're seeing. Right. Well, let me let me let me change that for a second. Mm-hmm. It's not Russia that's making it. It's Vladimir Putin. Right. You Vladimir know, Putin. I'm 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 not happy to see when they'll show on television, say, you know, um, graphic visual. Right. You know, and so on. And you see a whole slew of these Russian soldiers yes. that are dead on the street. Many of them have no idea why they're even there. Most of them. And, you know, again, you know, it's it's very I, I don't want to see anybody lose their life and not for something as stupid as this which was putin's you know wanton disregard for ukraine's democracy and ukraine's sovereignty i mean you know and obviously i don't care what anybody says this has to be all over oil because this is all over money and and somewhere along the line i don't know whether there's a ton of oil that's sitting in crimea or in uh the donbass area but he went in there for a reason. This well, guy didn't go in there for no reason at all. The Ukrainian wheat harvest. That soil, I've seen that soil. 
that soil is black as the ace of spades. That has got to be the most nutritious soil I've ever seen. It's just, it's, it's not a joke about, they say you could spit a seed on the ground and it will grow. It will. This place is, I can't remember the statistic of how much of the world's grain is grown in Ukraine. But you notice when they took the port of Berdansk, the first thing they did was they stole three grain carriers and sailed them to Russia. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it's a combination of things. But I think Russia being the breadbasket or Ukraine being the breadbasket of Europe may be the principal motivator. Yeah, it could, could be. But since we're talking about food and so on, if you'd be so kind, yeah. describe for me, if you can, the humanitarian crisis that's unfolding in Mariupol and places oh. that have, you know, seen the full brunt of the Russian war machine. That's not I fair. mean, do you think that they'll do in Kiev what they've done in Mariupol? Well, first off, they can't. And there, uh, there's, there's indications that the, the task group that was northwest of Kiev for the last month may, in fact, themselves be wiped out, may being encircled in Erpin, Hostomil and Bucha which is the center of their combat power. Uh, so the city of Kiev, I understand it has been relatively peaceful. All the people, you know, I've got people there who say um, it's all outgoing artillery other than that rocket hit that, that occurred at that mall the other day. It's all dozens and dozens and dozens of rounds of outgoing artillery. So something's going on in Kiev. Mariupol, different animal. Their back is to the sea, Right. Uh, they are surrounded on all sides by the Russians. There is no relief. And they are just killing every person in the city they see. They keep claiming they want to open up humanitarian corridors. They open them. People line up. They bombard the people. They are going to raise that city to the ground. I think they said 90 percent of the city has been hit, has been struck by at least one shell. Forty percent of the city is leveled, leveled, gone uninhabitable. Uh, and most people are living in the basements and they have two to three days food. So at some point, the civilians may capitulate. But I think Moscow intends to do to that city what they did to Grozny, Chechnya, which is kill every living person in it. And the thing is, we can't. Well, there's that, nothing we can well, do about Well, Malcolm, right. But that, that creates a problem, right, at least in my mind, because I've heard stories, now maybe not in Mariupol, but I've heard stories of Russian forces turning on one another, right, during, during this, um, this war, or begging for mercy when captured as they're forced, you know, by threat of execution right. to fight. Now, have your encounters been like these Russian soldiers? Um, and what are you hearing about their morale and their fitness? Well, because they're suffering from lack of food, too. Yeah. And they're they're marauding. They're doing forging all over. They're breaking into people's houses. They're stealing food. Uh, they're still definitely what houses. What houses? Most of them have been leveled. Well, out in the country, there's quite a bit. And they're going into apartments and just gathering food. They're foraging uh, through, you know, by and by knowing they're going to starve the population. Killing uh, chickens everywhere. That's all you hear is reports the Russians stole their chickens. The Russians stole their chickens. Um, you know, the Russians really control nothing other than the road that they are on. All those red swaths you see on CNN and MSNBC, not real. It should be thin red lines of where their convoys are and nothing else. Uh, but, you know, their army is very demoralized. 
They, um, they, most of them did not know what they were there for or where they were going. They said only the senior officers were briefed. Junior officers were briefed 24 hours before and were only allowed to talk to the senior officers. And the average Joe wasn't briefed at all. There's a famous case near Chernayev where uh, they, they caught four guys who pulled a BMP over at a gas station and the Ukrainians were opening fire on them. And they were like, whoa, 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 why are you shooting at us? And they go, you're invading our country. He goes, no, we're on an exercise. <laughs> I mean, those were like the first five guys caught. They were reconnaissance. They were a reconnaissance platoon and could didn't you, know could you they imagine? were in Ukraine. They thought they were in Belarus. So that being one thing, um, there I have seen the testimony of soldiers who said, yes, they are shooting you if you go to the rear. I have emphasized and I've spoken to people here, you know, who were in Ukraine where I said, you've really got to start working on your psychological operations. You really have to start putting up signs that say, you know, something along the lines of shoot all your ammunition in the air, tell them you ran out of gas and go hold, hide up in the woods till we come and get you. Food. You know what that you know what your story reminds me of? Your story reminds me of the movie <laughs> Tropic Thunder, right? Where they drop like uh, you know, Ben Stiller, Tom, you know, oh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, a bunch of the other actors and so on into, you know, uh, into the middle of a of a real jungle as right. opposed to uh, onto a set and they're like, "Whoa, whoa, what are you firing at? What are you firing at?" You know, we're we're here, we're you know, it's terrible, <laughs> and, but it's- you know, we're actors, we're actors. Yeah, this it's really it's truly no joke. Yeah. And I the mean, producer you know, steps on a landmine and blows up right i mean exactly these guys are getting it and here's the one thing i said this on air many many times on msnbc and i was ridiculed the first week i said i had been to donbass i had met all the senior commanders i've been all over that country every major city i said these people are going to fight and they can win this war and i was like no russia's going to take it in 72 hours after 72 hours i was starting to see some major failures and i said they're never going to win this war. They don't have enough manpower. Yeah. The Nazis bought 1.4 million men through Ukraine to seize to, to take that country. And the Soviets had to bring 2.5 million to cleanse it of Nazis. So what do you think 178,000 guys are going to do? They were living. Yeah, like not that. when you're fighting, not when you're fighting 30 million Ukrainians that 42. want their sovereignty and are willing to die. You know, oh. and they're willing to die for it. Men, women, older, younger, it makes no difference. But, you know, Malcolm, as the hour now comes to an end, I know that, um, you know, time goes by quickly on mea culpa. <laughs> I have one last question for you, but I want to switch gears. And I, I've asked this now to several of my guests here on the show. I want to discuss Mo Brooks and the January 6th committee. Could Mo Brooks's recent falling out with Trump unearth new information on what happened that day that could ultimately link the insurrectionists with lawmakers? What's your what's your understanding? What's your knowledge on that? I think so, because here's the pathway that I'm looking for. Ali Alexander, who is this right wing extremist uh, guy who claims he coordinated with Mo Brooks and and others to plan the, the seizure of the or to plan the protest that would lead to the seizure of the building. But we also have now found out that the White House itself manufactured the entire bring in fake electors fraud scam. 
right? That's straight up fraud of official documents that were actually sent to the National Archives. But also the element that the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, and the Oath Keepers may also have been briefed in to actually carry out the insurrection itself in order to stop the steal, which, by the way, was a phrase popularized by Roger Stone, who was also there. Uh, so I think that Mo Brooks flipping could give them direct a, a witness to Trump. But you know how it is with, with, with guys in the Trump camp. When they flip one day, the next day they say, oh, I was misinterpreted. And, uh, you know, and, and Trump comes back to, or someone threatens their life or the life of their child. Yeah, well, let me tell you, um, when, when I decided to cooperate, the same shit started. All of a sudden they come at you from every angle that they possibly can. And, um, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't giving up and I refuse to give up now in terms of this, you know, situation. But, you know, one of the things that I actually heard and it really, um, it, I found it very very disconcerting, to be honest with you, was the fact that they were using, there's a whole story on the usage of burner phones, mm -hmm. right? You know, that was going on. And allegedly, there's a guy that's now been called in. Um, he's a young he's a young kid, um, and he's been called in to the January 6th committee because he's the guy that bought these three burner phones for, you know, this is an allegation, and we're going to find out if it's true or not because... I know he's due before the committee in a couple of days, but his statement is that he bought these burner phones for Amy and Kylie Kramer, who were involved in the, um, the rally, the Ellipse rally, and that he was there while they were speaking to Mark Meadows uh, and so on. And there's so much stuff that's going on here. But what bothers me the most about all of this is they have already now interviewed probably 500 people. And they have the receipts for these burner phones. They have knowledge on where and who paid for it. And the guy who bought them with somebody else's money, you know, at a, at a CVS, it's crazy. It's crazy that more people haven't been indicted. And I'm not talking about people like the Oath Keepers or the One Percenters or this asshole group or that asshole group. I'm talking about fucking lawmakers, the same people that helped them map out where Nancy Pelosi's office was, where Mike Pence was going to be, where the Senate chamber is. Those are the people that need to be held accountable. These other unwitting fools, they're just pawns in a game. Mm -hmm. But none of it wouldn't have happened if Donald Trump hadn't opened his mouth. Oh, Sure. Yeah, I, I can't argue with you on that, my brother. But listen, Malcolm, you stay safe. When are you coming back to the States? Yeah, I should be back in a few weeks. We'll see. You know, it's funny because I wanted to go to Poland. I made a request uh, both to, you know, the uh, Bureau of Prisons, you know, my father being born in Poland ah. and my wife being born in southwest Ukraine. I just felt, you know, I wanted to go there and assist. You know, my wife is from the area. Well, we always call it Chernovtsi. They call it Chernovitz uh, on which is by the Moldova border. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. and my father, my Chernovitz father was born. Big border crossing. Yep, exactly. My my da my dad was born in Bochnia, Poland, and didn't leave until, of course, after the war. Oh. Um, you know, it was a unfortunate, you know, um, going through the entire uh, Holocaust situation. So, you know, I just right. thought it would be a good thing, and you know, I'm I'm contemplating on going. So, if I do, 
I'm going to reach out to you. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll see each other in person. Get together. It's a great place. And uh, I'll introduce you to the people over at the Auschwitz Foundation. I've spoken there twice. Yeah. Well, thank you, Malcolm. And please stay safe. And I'll see you when you're back on Landside. All right. Take care. And now for today's mea culpa. In thinking about Trump's latest sleazy enticement of Vladimir Putin, I can't help but think of the famous Yogi Berra and his malpropism. It's like deja vu all over again. How many times can we watch the same person do the same thing and do absolutely fucking nothing? Donald Trump is literally saying that Putin hates America and he wants his help. That's the thing. He's not just asking for dirty he can use in the next election. He's fucking spelling it out for all of us to see that when his personal interests do not align with those of the American national interest, he chooses his own every time, which we knew from his first impeachment or his attempt to overturn an election to stay in power leading up to his second. The man has a thing for Putin. That's obvious. He might even be a Russian asset, but we just keep letting him roam free like somehow he will see the light and act like a normal fucking person. It was Maine Senator Susan Collins, a moderate Republican if there ever was one, who famously declared that Trump has learned his lesson after his first impeachment. And I can understand why she thought that. Any normal person would have been chastened, but Trump is not normal. He's a fucking sociopath, devoid of empathy, who only cares about one thing, Donald Trump. There's no one person or thing that he won't destroy to help himself get ahead or stay alive. Whoever fails to grasp this very basic concept is just fucking dense. With Trump, I am reminded then, not of deja vu, but of the fable of the scorpion and the frog. A scorpion asks a frog to carry him over a river. The frog is afraid of being stung, but the scorpion argues that if it did so, both would sink and the scorpion would then drown. The frog then agrees, but midway across the river, the scorpion does indeed sting the frog, dooming them both. When asked why, the scorpion points out that this is its nature. Those who fail to grasp the inherent evilness of Donald Trump at this point will follow the same way as the frog did. The problem is that we know his nature. He doesn't even try to hide what he is doing anymore. But still, there are those who wish to give him the benefit of the doubt or at least the freedom to spread his poison. And in the end, he will sting us all. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa, nothing but the truth. (laughs) 